That was beautiful. Thank you so very, very much. So if you're a basketball fan, you will recognize the name Dikembe Mutombo. If you don't recognize him from, a, from, from basketball, you might recognize him from a recent Geico commercial uh, where he is swapping down Cheerios and stuff being thrown into hamper. I don't know if you've seen that. How many of you have seen that commercial, right? He's got that big, tall voice. You know, he's like, no, 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 <laughs> not in my house, right? The seven foot, two inch, seven foot, two inch, seven foot. He's like one of the giants from the land of, that we talked about last week, right? 260-pound center is commonly regarded as one of the best shot blockers and defensive players in the history of the NBA. I saw him in an interview on Conan. Yeah, I watch Conan sometimes. And his shoe size, shoe size is 22. I know, right? Like, that's, that's big. That's huge. That's two of my shoe sizes. And then some. During his career, Matumbo blocked notable greats like Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, and our, I'll say our for now, very on Sean Camp. Some of you who are uh, supersonic basketball uh, feds may remember Sean Camp. Uh, you, and if you, if you are a supersonic, Seattle supersonic fan, you may not like Matumbo too much. In 1994, the Sonics were slated to win the top seed team, slated to win the playoffs. And they were playing against the eight seed team uh, the, um, um, oh, what were they, what were they called at the time? Denver Nuggets. And Mutombo was on the Denver Nuggets that day, 1994. And this was supposed to be an easy sweep of the game. And, uh, everybody just was thinking this is done. It's over. It's game, game done. But as the games progressed... We noticed something, uh, and Sean Camp talks about it later. He says that Matumbo kept blocking every one of my shots, and during the whole series, he blocked 31 shots. It was then, during that time, that his iconic trademark wag of the finger became famous. ESPN played it everywhere because every time he would block, he would be going, no, 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 <laughs> not in my house. No, 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 not in my house. The signature move became legendary. This signature move, uh, not in my house, was, was kind of the move that was saying, I'm disarming every opponent while he's waving his finger, no, no, no. And it made him famous. Today, people use this 
no, 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 not in my house, wagging their fingers in all kinds of ways, situations where someone is triumphant over a, a woe, or a foe, I should say. And it's pretty interesting to see people use this all the time. Many people use it, they don't even know where it came from. Not in my house, but do you know where that came from? No. Well, let me tell you where it came from. I believe that the very first use of it was by Jesus Christ. When he defeated Satan at the cross and three days later burst out of the tomb triumphant. I believe, I, just me, my imagination, he's bursting out of the tomb and he's wagging his finger going, no, 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 Satan, not in my house. When Jesus was hanging on the cross on that faded, faded Friday, All eternity was literally hanging in the balance. From the moment that the Savior was born, as you read the Gospels, you will notice that Satan was trying to destroy him. We don't know much about his life from his childhood till he began his ministry, but I bet during those years, Satan kept trying to destroy him. Even while he was quietly growing up, moving into that phase of ministry. He knew that if Christ was successful, that he would lose all. He considered himself the prince of this world. In fact, even Jesus called him once the prince of this world. And all through the Bible, you hear this language as if Satan now is the prince of this world. And when Jesus was in the wilderness preparing for his ministry as he fasted for 40 days, the devil took him on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And all of this, he says, I will give to you because this is my world. I will give this to you if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus says what? No, no, no. Not in my house. He says, get away from me, Satan. Worship only God. For three years, Satan, the prince of this world, tried to discourage him. For three years, he tried to trap him, tried to throw him off a cliff, tried to drown him, tried to arrest him. All these things happened, but it wasn't until Jesus was ready that all happened. And in actuality, it was as if Jesus was setting it all up. And Lucifer, Satan, devil, the enemy, whatever you want to call him, the rebel, he had no idea what he was walking into. This was all part of Jesus' strategy. And then on the cross, as he is hanging there, Satan, you know, this is, Satan is not stupid. You know that, right? I mean, do, do I need to convince you of this? <laughs> he knows that if Jesus dies on that cross... That, it's over. And so he's actually got people mocking him. Hey, come on, man. You saved others. Why don't you save yourself, right? And the temptation must have been so intense. As we talked about last night, the Bible says, but for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And we talked about who that joy is. And who is that joy? It's you guys. It's us. He was, I believe he was envisioning each and every one of us while he was hanging on that cross. When Jesus breathed his last breath, 
on what today we call Good Friday for a good reason. And out of the words, it is accomplished. With thunder and lightning and earthquake and rumbles, I believe Satan trembled as he realized that his doom was inevitable. And then Saturday comes. And Jesus is still in the grave. I believe that Satan tried to do everything he could to keep him in the grave. I believe he thought maybe there was still a little bit of hope. When Jesus died, all of Christ's followers lost all hope. Why? Well, there really were actually no believers on the Sabbath. You know that, right? What were they doing? They were hiding. There's a broken-hearted mother, a disheartened fisherman, disappointed lame and blind people that came to be, to be healed, and they, they were like, what? He died? What, what are you talking about? As, for, as far as everyone saw it on that Saturday, Jesus had failed. See, we have the privilege of seeing it from, from this way back, right? We can, we can look back and say, oh yeah, Jesus had it. You got it. But if you were living on that Saturday, how would you be feeling? What do you think would be going through your mind on that day, on that Saturday, while Jesus is resting in the tomb? The disciples felt it. The Romans knew it. The Jewish leaders were celebrating Finally, the game is over, as far as everybody was concerned. They're hiding in the upper room. No one, by the way, in the church. There was no movement at the time. There were no Christians because there was no Christ. Nobody was strategizing how to keep the dream alive. Because Jesus did not seem to be who he claimed he was. In fact, on that Sabbath, he was dead. Sleeping. We find no one standing outside the tomb doing a countdown. Watch this. Ten. Nine. Watch, he's going to come. No. All their fears were right there, front and center. Will we be arrested? What's going to happen to our families? Are we next? Are we going to be crucified? Everything had changed in such a short tragic change of events. I believe that Saturday was probably, that Sabbath was the saddest day for Christ's followers. I believe in a sense, we're living in a Sabbath right now between that moment and the second coming. And I'm wondering how your courage is. I'm wondering if you had the faith to see beyond that moment. In Mark chapter 16, let's read that together, verses 1 through 3. It says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. 
It says, very early on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? I mean, we're just a couple of ladies. Who's going to do this? There was no uh, feminism yet in back in those days. Uh, they didn't sit there and say, we could do this. We're women, you know. Today, maybe they would have said that, but back then they didn't. They're sitting there going, who's going to roll away this stone? I don't think men would have. I think men would have asked the same question because this thing was huge. Who's going to roll away the stone? And that day, these women woke up with that uncontrollable aching emptiness. I don't know if you've ever experienced this emptiness when you lost someone. The crushing despair of hope deprived. Grief flooded their hearts. And the question on their lips was nothing profoundly theological. They're not sitting there thinking, so now what do we do? They're not sitting there thinking, well, why did this happen? No, their question on their lip was very practical, wasn't it? Who will roll away the stone? It was not about the meaning of his life or how to carry out his mission. The question on their lips was a very, 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 very practical one. And usually that's what happens to us. We get very practical when things begin to get kind of confusing. And perhaps this morning, this is our question as well. Many of us have come with questions on our lips or certainly in our minds on the Sabbath day. And I'm wondering if you have a stone that needs to be rolled away. Maybe there's a stone at the entrance of your heart. And someone who loves you has said, who will roll away that stone? Perhaps it's a stone of skepticism. Perhaps it's a stone of fear. Perhaps it's a stone of rebellion. Perhaps it's a stone of despair. Or maybe a stone of discouragement. Who will roll away that stone? And it seems so large that you wonder if it could ever be removed, if anybody could ever roll away that stone. Who will roll away the stone? Who will roll away the stone of sorrow from the dark tomb of our losses? Who will roll away the stone of insecurity from the dark tomb of our failures? Who will roll away the stone of, of cynicism from the dark tomb of our jaded vision of the world these days? Who will roll away the stone of indifference from the dark tomb of the world's suffering? Who will roll away the stone of grief from the dark tomb of our broken hearts and broken relationships? I love what happens next. Mark 16, 4 through 6. I love this. It says, But when they looked up, when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. See, here's the point. Our eyes are on the stone. 
our eyes are on that question, but the reality is if we trust God, if we trust Jesus, that stone is already rolled away. Jesus burst out of there, and he says, no, 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 not today, not in my house. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. I tell you what, I wish I was that young man. Don't you love to be the bearer of good news? Like, really? You pick me, Jesus? I'll sit here as long as I need. I'll wait for them. Don't worry, they'll come. Can you imagine that angel, how, how excited he was to be able to say these words, don't be alarmed, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. And after that day, everything changed for the disciples. As the news began to spread, and as they began to see and experience the resurrected Jesus, they were inspired to dream and strategize the spreading of this great news. And the movement, this is when the movement was born. The movement was not born until the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, our church is really not... We, 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 I know we like to think that our church is based on the Bible. And the Bible is extremely important. Do not misunderstand what I'm going to say here. But our church really... There was no Bible back then. Our church started and is based on the fact that Jesus Christ was victorious over death and resurrected from the grave. That is what our foundation is all about. Nothing could stop it. And I believe that Christ has given us the power today to disarm the enemy. And I believe that he's given us the word to help us do that. I love what Acts chapter 3 verse 15 says. And Peter and John are talking to the crowd and they're going, you killed the author of life. <laughs> it's like a joke, right? Like, really? You killed the author of life, but God raised them from the dead we are witnesses of this. And back in those days, if they said we are witnesses, that was a little different than today. People didn't lie about those kinds of things back then. Once you say, I'm a witness, I'm a witness. I love this. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Not in my house. No, 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 not today, not ever. Not on my watch. You know, the early disciples, uh, we've kind of lost this, but they would walk around back in those days. This is how they would greet each other. They would say, Jesus is risen. And the response was always, hey, Jesus is risen indeed. Expression deepens impression. Amen? So they would walk around. They would see somebody. They would notice that they were, the moment they realized this is a Christian, they would say, Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen indeed. Wouldn't it be cool if that's how we greet each other? Hey, man, Fred, Pastor Fred, how you doing, man? Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen See, there you go, man. We didn't even set that up. How cool is that? I mean, imagine that, right? I mean, I mean think about what it was like for them. There's a story about, I'll finish with another NBA story. I love this. 
Because some of us are sitting here saying, yeah, man, you know, I get what you're saying, Pastor Serge, but, but my stone is really, really big. And we have tried to roll away this stone for so long, and it just doesn't happen. And I'd like to suggest to you that maybe that's the problem. Maybe the problem is that you've tried to roll away the stone. And maybe we just let, the, let, let go and let God roll away that stone. So there's, there's a, one of my favorite stories is from NBA All-Star Larry Bird. I know you've heard of Larry Bird. He played for the Celtics for many, many years. His coach was Casey Jones, and he actually tells this story. He recounts one of his favorite stories. And, and it was, I'm sorry to do this to you again, but it was during another Seattle game. It was tied, and there was only five seconds remaining in the huddle. And Jones began to detail the perfect play that did not involve Larry Bird. Bird, of course, was not happy, and he tells Jones these words. He says, why don't you just give me the ball and tell everybody else to get out of the way? And Jones says, hey, 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 I'm the coach here, okay? So I make the decision. Just be quiet. All right, this is what we're going to do. Give the ball to Larry Bird and get out of his way. <laughs> and sure enough, he actually goes up to one of the players on the other team and says, this is what I'm going to do, watch this. And he tells him exactly how he's going to score. And then the whistle blows and the game starts. Five seconds left and within those five seconds, he scores the point, the winning points, and he makes his way to the locker room. Sometimes we need to let go, get out of the way, and let Jesus score the winning goal. We need Jesus to do that for us. Yesterday was Good Friday. I'm not sure how many people realize why it's called Good Friday. It's called Good Friday because of the awesome Sunday that came afterwards. And you and I get the privilege of experiencing not only Good Friday, but one day we get to experience the resurrection of the saints. And I'm so looking forward to that. Amen? Amen. We're going to finish with this little video, and then the worship team will lead us to one more song. Good Friday. How can one describe such a day? the wrongdoing of all humanity, putting to an end an innocent man, the Son of God. This is the story of Jesus' death by way of a cross, all in one moment bringing death to the bright light of our future. He never stopped loving us, and yet this is the incredible part of it. Our sin stopped his heart. Our sin drove the nails firmly in the hands of God. All along, these were the plans. We told ourselves that we were in control, and this was deemed sufficient for all of us 